Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be taking a look into the hotel industry during COVID-19. To discuss this topic, first, I have Dr. Cecil Statton. He is the CEO at AHOA. Dr. Cecil, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Of course. And also from AHOA, we have Shirag Shah. He's the Vice President for Government Affairs over there. Shirag, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. And we also have Andre Cushing. He's a Maine County Commissioner and works with us very closely on our ACE projects and here at ALEC. Andre, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So the things that we want to cover today briefly, just for our listeners to stay on track, we want to cover and talk about how this has essentially been the worst crisis in the hotel industry. Um, That's going to be really important for us to cover. But then after that, we want to talk about how the hotel industry is very importantly filled with small businesses across the country. And finally, we'll close out with how Cecil actually became the new CEO at the end of last year, right at the beginning of all of uh, you know COVID-19 coming down. So just to get us started, uh, Cecil, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about our first point? So how this was the worst crisis in the hotel industry. They might not be aware of the exact effect that it's had. Well, Dan, uh, again, thanks for allowing us to be here today to discuss an important topic for our economy. You're absolutely right. Hoteliers have suffered through ups and downs in our economy and economic cycles throughout their careers. It's nothing new. Obviously, recessions come and go. We also have in fairly recent memory such things as 9-11 and certainly the financial crisis that started about 2008. So we know something about economic cycles. Unfortunately, nothing could prepare a business person, no amount of planning could prepare for what we've seen as a result of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Where literally within a matter of weeks, uh, the economy was shut down, and our particular and significant niche within the economy was ground to a halt, travel ground to a halt. The government made that decision. Now, we're not here today to talk about the rights and wrongs of the decision, perhaps, but certainly the impact of it is an incredible liquidity crisis for our industry. And that has led to massive layoffs of literally hundreds of thousands of hotel workers, probably more realistically, several million uh, workers within hotels across our country. And it has led to a liquidity crisis, which finds hoteliers dealing with the lowest rates of occupancy, literally in memory, in history, in recorded history almost, far greater, far worse than 9-11. And as you can imagine, that that had a pretty devastating impact on travel, far worse than the 2008 financial crisis. Some suggest even combining those two together, we're dealing with a worse situation. So it's low occupancy rates business travel grinding to a halt, and a huge liquidity crisis for these small business people who, though they are small business people, have a pretty big mortgage payment to make every month. And with no heads and beds, as we refer to it in the industry, with no one in the hotels, uh, it has led to a crisis of monumental proportions. And we are quite concerned about the devastating impact that is still going to have on the economy over the next few months. Cecil, thank you for kind of teeing things up. There was both a health dynamic and also a, a political dynamic to this. And I don't know if perhaps, Shirag, you can talk about what 
your organization did to be responsive. My experience with hospitality has been you guys are always responding to challenges that come up with housing, with events. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what you saw as the tremendous response of your members to this. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely. You know, this has uh, become a crisis uh, that evolves every single day. And uh, the, the nature of that evolution is something that takes turns that uh, we never would have anticipated. And as uh, Cecil mentioned, that right out of the gate, the challenges were that uh, travelers just stopped traveling almost overnight with the shelter in place and, uh, uh, and quarantine orders uh, that came out. It certainly wasn't a, a, a uniform standard because, frankly, had that have happened, it could have been um, uh, even worse if everything were taken to the extreme right out of the gate. But what, one of the things that we did see was that from state to state, in some cases from municipality to municipality, the responses were different. And we ended up having to try to work through each one of those types of arrangements to try to make sure that we could protect our industry as best as possible. And I'll give you a couple examples uh, right out of the gate. The first of which was uh, how states reacted to the virus and how they determined which businesses were to be deemed essential. And uh, when you look at hotels, it is ultimately, I mean, so it's an entity for lodging, but there are people that are staying there. And uh, what governments, in many cases, when they... Um, uh, made a knee-jerk decision to say, well, hotels shouldn't be considered essential. Uh, they they make assumptions that, uh, well, it just must be vacationing patrons or or something along those lines, and folks should just not go on vacation right now. Well, what that would have amounted to would have been uh, hoteliers from across the country evicting people who are literally staying at these properties for whatever reason or another, whether it's a family that's on vacation or a business person that's uh, in the middle of a sales call or uh, somebody who's at an extended stay property because they're on a long-term project or first responders to the crisis, you name it. And as we've seen, uh, some of the responses have also been providing quarantine facilities for folks so they could safely be away from either their family or, or uh, colleagues or things of that nature. And so that knee-jerk reaction was something that we had to educate lawmakers about, and uh, you know, very, very glad to say that uh, in every state where they had even considered this, uh, they reversed course pretty quickly. You know, other circumstances where federal programs were involved, uh, like the uh, economic injury disaster loans, uh, it actually required a state process in which states had to get a county-by-county county assessment, so they were able to fill out the paperwork. I mean, this was one of the most frustrating propositions uh, that we never would have anticipated that you would have to go in order to use a program to, to try to be able to salvage your business, that state governments had to go at a county by county level so that every county in the state was determined to be functionally a disaster zone, which they could then apply to the federal government. And that took weeks and weeks and weeks long after resources were appropriated by Congress. And so um, those are the types of things that we needed to do right out of the gate so we could protect our guests, but also to, to figure out ways that we could protect the industry. Sure. See, so we recognize, as, as was mentioned earlier, that these are small business people. Many of these hotels may be under corporate flags, but they're privately owned. They may be, you know, one or a handful of these. But for your members, which, as I understand, total over or close to 19,000 now, tell me what effect that had as you as a leader started to talk to your members and your different stakeholders around the country? Well, Andre, you're absolutely correct. We are almost 20,000 members at AHOA. Our members own more than half of the hotels in the United States. And so we are able to get a great representation of what's really going on out there by talking to our members on a daily basis. But they use 
the franchise system in the United States. When you pull up uh, and uh, there's a flag outside or a big name on the top of the hotel, chances are in the vast majority of cases, they're not owned by that brand, but they are franchised by a local hotelier who is a local businessman, a businesswoman in a community, creating jobs, hiring people, uh, making a mortgage, paying taxes, all of this being done at the local level. So it is very true. Our members, uh, a lot of them are, are those small sort of mom and pop businesses, a hundred room hotel, maybe they employ 40 people. So they very much are categorized as small businesses. And as I said earlier, they just happen to have a pretty big mortgage payment to make because the infrastructure necessary for a hotel is obviously a major investment. But our members will go all the way to those who own 50 or even 100 hotels. I talked to one of our members recently who uh, I think is at about 50 hotels. He had 1,400 employees when COVID uh, started. Uh, Today, he has just a little over 400 employees. So it's really heartbreaking to be on the phone on a daily basis to talk to our members who are trying to juggle all of this, trying to figure out how to keep their businesses open, keep their employees engaged. Because for many of them, like most small businesses, I mean, you know your employees. It's almost like a family that comes together to work every day at the enterprise. And so it's been devastating to them to have to do, you know, what they've done or make the tough decisions. But um, at the end of the day, it's important that people understand hoteliers are, in effect, small business people for the most part. And they're out there and, and having a huge impact upon their local economies in every community across this country. And uh, we're in the trenches with them every day, just trying to help them figure out how to hold on. That's a great point. If you gentlemen want to talk about some of the things that an organization like AHOA can offer to its members during crisis times like this, and it may not be just the pandemic, but also natural disasters, hurricanes, or whatnot. What type of support does an organization like AHOA offer during a crisis? Well, look, uh, we focus in uh, several very key areas. One of them is communications. Uh, At the very beginning, we put our communications team together in order to provide a daily update to our members. So we literally have a COVID daily update where we aggregate information from across our industry, put it together, and we add to it information about what AHO is doing through our educational offerings, uh, through our events, uh, and through our advocacy. And those are the other three things I would mention to you in in response to your question. Uh, We do a lot of educational offerings. I have a background in education. I think just since COVID started, uh, we've done probably close to 190 different educational offerings, webinars often. Uh, They've reached now more than, I think, 42,000 people this year. So we, we take that very seriously, looking at every aspect of how this pandemic is impacting our industry and what hoteliers should do to be prepared and how they can survive this. So our educational offerings are important. We do a lot of virtual events. AHO is an events organization in a normal uh, year. We'll do 180, 200 events, sometimes more. We've had to pivot to virtual events. We're right now in our regional meeting season Uh, We'll be doing that over the next several weeks. We had two last week. So we'll have events. Hundreds of people literally will participate virtually. We did our convention virtually this year. We had about 4,700 people participate in that convention. Uh, And then I have to mention our advocacy. And Sharag leads 
our team in Washington, D.C. We have been there in the trenches every day fighting for our industry. AHOA's fingerprints, I'm proud to say, have been on much of what has taken place in Washington, including the CARES Act, making sure that it was uh, something that would be of help to hoteliers. And Sherrod can probably talk a little bit more about that. Thank you, Sherrod. Sure. You know, um, I think one of the the biggest things, Andre, to your point, is that uh, uh, public officials uh, today still don't recognize that the lodging industry in particular is that small business model, mom and pops that own and operate these businesses. They they just assume, as Cecil put it, that uh, it must be the big corporate entity that owns the property and that anybody that works there are employees of that property. But it's our members that are the ones that undertake all of the financial risk. They own the real estate, they own the capital, they employ the employees, and they're the ones in the majority of cases that have the personal guarantees on the loans for that real estate. And so when the the pandemic hit and the bottom fell out of the the lodging industry, it's our members uh, that are the ones, the, uh, the front of that, and they're the ones that have to figure this out. And unfortunately, as folks are trying to figure out what the impact of the pandemic would be, they started to, to fill in gaps in a number of places, but overlooked, frankly, our business model. And there were some concerns that we had about saying, all right, well, you know, how are, with, with government mandates in place that prohibit travel in many circumstances, how is it that a small business owner whose business model is this real estate, this hotel, how are they supposed to meet their mortgage obligations? How are they supposed to meet their property tax obligations? And frankly, that's one of the other biggest pieces of this is uh, property taxes, because the downstream effects of property taxes are so significant on every single community uh, in which these hotels are, are based. And so it's really going to be a significant issue. And so whether it's the CARES Act and being able to ensure that the, the funding for the Paycheck Protection Program could work uh, not just for uh, hotels that are owned by a particular entity, but for each individual property. As a franchisee, oftentimes you have uh, multiple businesses and you have multiple properties. And so if some of these things were restricted, then you'd end up with folks that were left out in the cold through no fault of their own. I think that's the other critical piece of this is that the devastation that's taken place is not because of a poor business owner or some nefarious dealings, but rather this issue is through no fault of their own and these small businesses are struggling to survive. And that's the story that we've been telling in uh, at state legislatures across the country as well as at the national level. And the one other piece I'd tell you that we're, we're particularly concerned about is uh, this idea of exposure liability. The hotel industry has long been a target for predatory litigation. And uh, we're, we're grateful for so many of the legislative leaders that have stood up at a state level. I think there's 13, maybe maybe 14 states now that have put forth legislation and signed into law uh, liability protections. And so we're, we're eager and hopeful that uh, there will be a federal regime, uh, but also states continue to undertake this to protect small business owners that really can't afford these types of uh, extortive lawsuits that uh, may arise. Sure. And I know here in Maine, one of the big concerns from the hospitality industry has also been sort of the heavy hand of government in applying penalties or more layers to go through. Cecil, we'd be remiss if we didn't take a a little time here as we wrap up to talk about you as the CEO coming in during this pandemic. You had experience in education. Prior to that, you served your state of Georgia in the, the Senate and were in leadership. Talk a little bit as a leader about what you felt was important to bring to this role and working with your team to support your members during this time. Well, obviously, when I joined AHOA almost a year ago, we had no idea whatsoever that we would be facing 
this disruption for our industry uh, that has taken place in the form of a global pandemic. Our members today uh, in 2020, as we near the end of the year, their revenues are down more than 50% in most cases. Uh, we literally are facing a situation where some statistics are out there that as many as two-thirds of all hotels could uh, face the potential of foreclosure before this is all said and done. So it's an enormously challenging environment. Uh, I will simply say I have faced disruption in every industry I've ever worked in. Uh, I was uh, in the broadcast industry as it was having to deal with digital media and uh, sort of a whole paradigm shift in the way people get uh, information. I was in the publishing industry when we were having to deal with Amazon and eBooks and uh, a total disruption to that industry. In higher education, I had to deal with the disruption of MOOCs and online courses and degrees. And for our industry right now, it's as though uh, we have come face to face with the ultimate disruptor, COVID-19. So I think one of the things uh, I want to do for our industry is to help find out how we're going to survive, one, but also transition to how our industry is going to be different on the other side of COVID-19. I think, candidly, uh, my background, having been in small business and uh, having been in education and having been in government, really maybe uniquely prepares me for all the things we're having to focus on right now. We have to educate our members and I think AHO is doing a great job with that. We have to continue our advocacy at every level. Sherrod was just mentioning this. It's such a critical time to help people understand our industry and to make sure we're there at the table, whether it's at the federal level as they are discussing stimulus and the PPP program or other things that may yet come forward from the Congress or the administration, uh, all the way down to the states. You know, we are constantly involved in advocating for our members. We also advocate on their behalf of the brands. We mentioned their franchisees, and so sometimes there are issues there. But it's a challenging environment, and yet it is so important. And I would just leave you with this thought. Our members at AHOA are often, more often than not, they're first, second, third generation Americans. They're immigrant Americans who have come here in search of the American dream. And they have used this particular industry as a way to create jobs, to create successful businesses, to pay taxes, and hopefully be successful for their own families who've gone on to get educations and, and, and they've developed in every generation. So I, I want to just simply say that part of what is at stake for me personally, as I do the work I'm doing at the moment, is really the American dream. We don't want that to be lost. And that cannot be a casualty of a pandemic. Uh, we've got to find a way to support these individuals who, as Sherrod said, through no fault of their own, find themselves in the most horrific set of circumstances a business person could face. And so that's what we get up each and every day and we try to think about, we try to do what we can do to be of help. And that's what we're going to keep doing. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate having you here representing AHOA and it's uh, almost 20,000 members now. We are proud to have you as members of ALEC and your voice is important. Thanks for taking time today. There's certainly more we could cover, but unfortunately we are at the end. Uh, I look forward to the chance to see you again and best wishes as we move into a, a new year. Thank you very Thank much. You. Yeah. Thank you both.
That does bring us to the end of our Alec podcast across the states today. I've been your host, Dan Reynolds, sitting down with AHOA to discuss and look into the hotel industry during COVID-19. Joining me have been Dr. Cecil Staten, President and CEO at AHOA. Cecil, thank you very much. Thank you. And Vice President for Government Affairs at AHOA, Shirag Shah. Shirag, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Of course. And from Alec, we had Andre Cushing. He is a Maine County Commissioner. Andre, thanks so much for organizing this call and for uh, all your great insight today. Pleasure to be on. Thanks for what you're doing, Dan, at uh, Alec. Of course. And if you are interested in having your ideas featured on Alec Across the States, do not hesitate to email us at acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.